Hebrews chapter 4, we looked at that yesterday. Before we look at that, let's go to Matthew's Gospel, a familiar, very beloved verse, Matthew 11. And let's start from verse 25. And whoever would like to read the Word of God this morning, what a privilege to read the Holy Word of God. The Jews had scrolls, and they have scrolls in museums from centuries ago. Every letter, every dot, every word of God, so precious. They treasured it. They kissed the Torah. And many of the Jews, they understood the gravity, the reverence for the Word of God. We have the living Word of God. In so many formats, God is so good. He hasn't limited to just paper. We have it in digital format. We hear it through audio. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. We have the true word of God. The true word of God. Come and please read Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Matthew 11, 25 to 30 in NIV. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This proceeds, or I should say, this is preceded by a Um, very strong word verse 20 so then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent woe to you Chorazin woe to you Bethsaida for the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon there on the upper west coast of the Mediterranean Sea he said if the mighty works had been done in you which had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Which, if it would have been done in these remote cities, Canaanite places, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Geographically, mankind likes to assign certain areas as the bad side of the neighborhood, certain cities, certain places where there are maximum security prisons and all kinds of chaos happening. Typically, people know to stay away and be cautious if you go in that area. Certain streets laden with destruction, cars riddled with bullets and all kinds of chaos happening. You can't set foot in certain neighborhoods. God is saying, if those neighborhoods would have seen me and heard, if they would have seen the mighty works that you people in certain cities in Israel had seen. They would have repented. And you, Capernaum, this is his ministry base, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades, hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, which is destroyed by fire raining down from heaven brimstone, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom the day of judgment than for you. Right after this, God speaks to his children. Those who really follow him, that in spite of the judgment that's coming on the world, he says, you're my beloved, you're safe. Don't be alarmed. We come to a point where every word that our Father speaks Every word that the Lord Jesus speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks. We know what applies to us and what doesn't. 
God is so good. He's a very, very loving, gentle God. He speaks peace to his people. We walk with him, we have nothing to fear. Because light repels darkness. Sometimes I have old books that I have bought that are maybe Christian classics or I want to go further and study some specific aspect of ancient uh, biblical backgrounds and the books may be something maybe 30, 40 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old and I not only spray them with diluted alcohol or hydrogen peroxide carefully so the print doesn't go but I take it out to the sunlight and I place it where usually it's very hot right on the dash I should say the windshield of the vehicle in direct sunlight I have the pages open because the sunlight destroys germs when we're in the light we have no fear of being infected by evil hallelujah evil can be all around it can try to afflict us we cannot get infected glory be to Jesus hallelujah we can be afflicted by evil but we cannot get infected by evil in our souls that's the protection we have in Jesus at that time Jesus answered and said after his enunciation those people who saw the miracles of God they're so stubborn and obstinate they refused to yield to him then the others come the Pharisees show us a sign he says you always you're always looking for a sign you don't want the word signs and wonders follow the word these people wanted signs and wonders without the word that's the problem there's some people that mistakenly preach you know I don't believe we should be looking for signs and wonders you don't have signs and wonders you don't have the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God comes with power however if we seek God in his word signs and wonders the authentic signs and wonders will follow if not there will be demonic activity that mimics the signs and wonders as you see in many religions and mystical demonic rites and even in Judaism certain sects they have mystical activities demonic things And people have witchcraft and horoscopes and wizardry and sorcery, black magic and voodoo, all kinds of demonic activity. The Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. We don't go after signs of wonders, we go after the one who is our life, the Lord Jesus. But when Jesus shows up, his power, he's not a weak God. Pharaoh found out. The Egyptians found out and they urged Pharaoh, we cannot contend with this God. Not only is he a God of the mountains, he's a God of the plains, he's a God of everything. He's far superior to any of our Egyptian gods and goddesses. They pleaded with Pharaoh, please, we're getting killed over here. Let those people go. Their God wants them to worship them. Let them go. He hardened his heart. Similar to Chorazin and Bethsaida. The Lord had to speak. You see, when God speaks, He's just. He waits. In the midst of that, for His people, there is this genuine rest. And here He says, I thank you, Father. It says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, While He's denouncing these people who refuse to believe and don't want Him, don't want His word. They want the power without the life. What kind of demonic desire is that? Satan always looks for power and promises power. And people run to many of these crystal ball readers and seances and witches like Saul did. Seeking answers and power. And you have Hollywood glamorizing it. And you have so-called stars promoting it as if it's harmless you see the tragedy the last lap the devil gets in their lives he just baits them like a horse with a carrot dangling in front I have something good for you and he leads them right to the pit not so with our Lord 
a gentle, loving Savior. He speaks the truth to us. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, not the real, genuinely wise and prudent by heaven standards, but those who are wise in themselves. They're proud. They have the wisdom of this world. Jesus says, "You've, Lord, Father, you've hidden the truth from the wise of this world. And you reveal it to babies. You reveal them to babies. These truths. These things. How does a baby act? Unassuming. Unassuming. Typically, healthy babies will be full of wonder. Ready to believe. They'll believe you and take a step and try things. Because there's a trust factor there. No cynicism and what-ifs and all those things. With God, we can trust Him completely like babies. If we're humble, then we'll be lifted up with the truth. We'll be given much from God. In verse 26, the Lord Jesus praying to the Father. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. I've often said this. Some of these prayers, like John 17 also, we have an intimate front row seat, if you will, to the communication of God to God. The Lord said at my Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110. You are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek as we have been studying Hebrews, we get to that. But what would it be like if someone secretly recorded a cell phone conversation of the president in the United States history in big, some big scandal or some big operation, secret files. You have audio bites and these things that people just want to hear. What is the truth? I want to hear the actual recording. How would it be like if we had a recording of Abraham Lincoln's conversations in the White House, not only with the officials, but with his family. He had a real insight. We think, wow, they didn't have those audio capabilities back then. What would it be like if we were able to hear some of these giants in human history be able to have these things accessible. How much would somebody pay to go to the greatest libraries in the world to be able to see on microfilm some rare conversations recorded in print? People research. They spend hours. They travel all over the world. They want insight into certain conversations between certain people we have the conversation recorded when the Son of God was speaking to the Father God. He said, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. It shows the oneness that the will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is always good for his children. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. He even reveals that. He says, you're getting this intimate revelation. To who? Babies. All of us. The children of God. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavily burdened, heavy laden. 
that I will give you rest. To think about rest, we usually think about physical rest. There's a refreshment in the soul, calmness, a stillness, a delight, a restoration that God wants to give. Where we are stopping from all of our handling of the affairs of life with all the pressures coming to the feet of the Lord. Lord, you're the problem solver. I believe you when you said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavily burdened, I will give you rest. I believe you, Lord, I'm coming to you. Hebrews 4 talks about rest. The rest certainly emotional and psychological, but far greater than that is a spiritual rest. And in the book of Hebrews, we'll see that the rest is begun, must continue, must consummate. That solves the confusion many people have when they read it, because they read if Joshua had given them rest, then... There's no further need for anyone else, but he couldn't. Because all of that battle in Canaan and the acquiring of the land to get rest was pointing to the ultimate rest that will come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And people who get that rest by salvation, by faith, they do what Jesus says here. They come to Jesus and they put down their works, their burdens. The Bible calls in Hebrews 6 dead works, repentance from sins, the works of the flesh, and carrying the load all by ourselves or trying to. We cannot handle anything apart from Christ, apart from His grace. Many people don't know it. They don't know that it's the Lord who's giving them life and breath. They think they're doing it on their own. But we know better as little children, babies who've been intimately and affectionately held and hugged and trained by our Father. All we need to do is depend upon the King who is our Father. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You have your own yoke. He said, that's too heavy for you. Take my yoke upon you. I'll support you. And learn of me. For I, he's the gentle one. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. The Lord inserts that revelation of his nature because it's connected to rest. As we come to him, God also makes us gentle and lowly in heart. Because it's only the lowly in heart who can really be supported by God. No one proud can come and expect God's support. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We come to God and we deliberately say, I'm not going to let things agitate me. I'm coming to Jesus. He's the one who can solve everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees everything, the whole universe in one shot. Everything is seen by the Lord. As we read that also in Hebrews, everything is laid bare before him. Nothing is hidden. So he knows not only the situation through and through, every situation, but he has the power to work it out for our best and he has the compassion, the willingness to do it. So when Jesus promises rest, there's no rest like this anywhere. He said, you shall find rest unto yourselves. I'm gentle and I love you and I'm humble. I want to give you my rest. As he says elsewhere in John's Gospel, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives my peace. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I have rooms for you, mansions. Things are going to get better. 
ultimately you'll be with me never to be accosted by Satan ever again hallelujah no more storms perfect peace perfect joy perfect bliss we have a foretaste of heaven a very large portion of the foretaste on this side of eternity if we are humble like babies and we believe God's word and even when he pronounces condemnation and judgment on those around us we're safe from the beloved you know why? because we're in the light no evil germ can infect us we keep ourselves pure we not only help widows and orphans in their distress but we keep ourselves from contamination from this world nothing of this world's evil none of the world's media none of the world's songs none of the world's dances none of the world's conversation none of the world's paraphernalia they have nothing to do with it therefore we can enjoy God's rest because in order to take his yoke we have to put down our yoke and that's akin not only to the suffering we have and the anguish that we have because of suffering and the burdens but it's also referring to it also refers to the dead works our own labor and striving say Jesus only you can help me I lay down everything at defeat will you fill me Lord give me rest Lord because your yoke is far easier than the yoke I've been carrying your burden is light is your burden heavy does the cross seem heavy I explained to the neighbor the other day when he said don't we all have a cross I explained the cross is not just common human suffering the cross biblically is any suffering connected with our following Jesus Christ when we're doing the right thing and we get afflicted and accosted by the enemy when we go through a trial because we're faithful to the Lord that's the cross because it's the work of Satan to try to break us down and be hostile crucify us but we continue to be like Jesus and obey and we will flourish we will see the resurrection life is your burden heavy as you bear it all alone question mark does the road you travel harbor dangers yet unknown are you growing weary in the struggle of it all Jesus will help you when on his name you call he's always there hearing every prayer faithful and true walking by our side in his love we hide all the day through when you get discouraged just remember what to do reach out to Jesus he's reaching out to you is the life you're living filled with sorrow and despair does the future oppress you with its worries and its care are you tired and friendless have you almost lost your way question mark Jesus will help you just call on him today we lay down our burdens at his feet and he gives us deep rest true rest in Hebrews chapter 4 as we look at it briefly before we close for today it says let us therefore fear let us therefore fear lest the promise being left of us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it again it must be said that many commentaries many preachers may point to this and other verses to say you see he's writing to unbelievers not so because many times he says brethren he says we have believed he's speaking of those and this is the point not only in Hebrews chapter 4 but all over the book he's speaking to the early Hebrew Christians as well as to us if you've tasted that the Lord is good and tasted of the good powers of the world to come part 
partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's the same person. If all of this has happened to you, he says, don't give up. You've got to continue because the rest that you've begun to enjoy now, coming to Jesus, if you want to continue to enjoy it, you must continue in the truth and obedience. If you want to enter into the consummation, the ultimate fulfillment of rest in heaven, you have to continue in obedience. That's why he says, let us fear. Lest the promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should not make it. Because at any point in time, a believer can choose to become an unbeliever. That's just a fact. It's a potential. That's why the warnings are there to tell a person, don't give up, don't let up, keep pressing in. The only way to guarantee that I will continue to believe and persevere and make it is if I am present in God's presence continually receiving his life. If I highly value his word and keep reading it and asking God, make this real in my life. Help me to be holy, honest, humble, full of hesed, that loving kindness in the Hebrew. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D, loving mercy and loving kindness. Love, agape type of love in the New Testament Greek. God's kind of love. When it says God is gracious and compassionate, his loving kindness is better than life. There's no one like him. That word has said. The New Testament, God kind of love is agape. It's a kind of love that is eternal. It's pure. As believers, if we check our hearts every day and say, Lord, do I have integrity? Am I really an honest person, Lord? When you tell me to do something, do I make excuses or do I follow through and do the best I can? No one ever loses when they do the best they can before God. God always comes with supernatural grace to give us more than we can ever ask or imagine. Humble. Saying, Lord, I've called the shots so far in my life. I've determined my schedule. and Everything according to my human wisdom and what's practically good and quote-unquote. But now I see there's a supernatural order. I need to ask you, Lord, what should my day be like and how should I schedule my life around you as the head and the center? Because you're my life. There's a humility, like a baby saying, Jesus, teach me. I'm sitting at your feet. doesn't matter how much money I make and how many promotions I've gotten, how many people think highly of me and what I've accomplished and where my name is put, what newspaper or what plaque in the office or somewhere else doesn't matter but if I'm humble in the sight of God I'm great in the sight of God the Lord said he that is first shall be last he that is last shall be first he that is least among you shall be the greatest we really learn this wisdom that is out of this world it's a divine wisdom that lasts forever we come to God with integrity, with humility, with, uh, with honesty and humility and this holiness. Lord, I can't do the things I used to do. No longer can I laugh at the jokes in the office with people that are not right before you. There's a stability and a maturity that God brings in where we're not off base and Emotions get up and down and God gives us that peace. Only He can do it. Any one of us can be off base, extreme, out of the way anytime. But it's God's grace that keeps us and we need to be proactive and say, Lord, I want to be just like you. That rest was already finished from the foundation of the world. When God finished all of creation on the seventh day, He said, this is the day of rest. He gave the Jews uh Sabbath, which would ever remind them that there's a rest physically, emotionally, psychologically, but also spiritually that God wants us to have. 
And God says here, I don't want anybody to miss out. There's a promise. There's a rest that we enter in when we believe in Jesus. There's a rest that we continue in when we continue to obey Him. And the rest that will finally come when we enter heaven. The ultimate rest. And He's saying here, none of you should come short of it. Remember how you believed in the beginning? Unlike the people in the wilderness who got overthrew the whole generation, because you know why? They heard the word, but they failed to mix it with faith. Verse 2. And notice he says, For we which have believed, he's talking to believers, do enter into their rest. He doesn't say have entered. On purpose, the wording is do enter. In other words, we have tasted, but specifically it's written here that we do enter, there's a continuation. We've entered in, we continue to walk in that rest until we get to the destination, finally stay in that rest. It must be remembered, the Christian life is probationary. What does it mean when someone's on probation? I'd like to ask you, what does probation mean? I'd like to ask perhaps the expert among us, who was a former corrections officer. Mimi, what is probation? It's a, uh, a trial period. It's based on your performance and your punctuality. Amen, amen. Praise God, a trial period. Perfect words to describe the Christian life. Performance. We're not saved by our good works. But the saved will have good works. If good works are missing missing from someone who claims to be saved, you have to question their salvation because we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We will persevere. As long as we're in the light, everything's fine. That's why the cautions are there. God doesn't say you haven't been saved to people. But he says you've been saved, but you have to walk circumspectly, which means wisely, discreetly, be careful that you're pleasing God and be careful for what the devil tries to put on you. He would love to contaminate you. In fact, it's public enemy number one to hell's kingdom. When he sees people walking around who are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. They're just pure. And he would love to stain them, get them contaminated. God says, don't let them do that. You have the power to walk with me and no germ can infect you. No germ of hell can touch you. Hallelujah. Eddie, if you're there, as a former police officer, what does probation mean in your words, if you will, if you're able to speak? Praise the Lord, Pastor. Um, I mean, um, I didn't deal with probation. It was more... um, Offenses, I mean, Sister Mimi got it Mimi got it more accurately. I guess yeah, her definition actually um, clarified it for me because we didn't deal with, um, I mean, the only time we would deal with somebody on probation is if they, you know, you know committed a crime or, you know, broke that probation. You have uh, right. issue warrants. Yeah, issue warrants for them. Yeah. Praise God. So there's another aspect, actually along with what Mimi said, is we cannot violate that probation. Otherwise, back to square one. Yeah. And what freedom God has given us, God is saying, you're my babies. You're my children. You're precious to me. You're my soldiers. The devil cannot touch you. Stay with me. How do we stay with Jesus? How do we abide in him? John 15, we do what he says. And as long as we follow his word and we have a healthy fear, that's what's missing today. So many evangelical circles and churches, the fear of God is just not there. That's why people can drink and carouse and smoke and be immoral and be deacons and elders and pastors and choir leaders and worship leaders. And hell is just rampant in churches licentiousness, this license to be immoral and wicked. 
But that's not what we learned from Jesus. He's holy. He teaches us to be holy and honest and humble and full of hesed, loving kindness. That, that's the Christian life. God says you began well. He encourages the Hebrew Christians as well as us. He says there's a rest reserved for you. You go to a, a fancy restaurant perhaps or some invitation to some great uh, event guest of honor and there's a table with your name on it special reserved nobody else can take that table it's for you and your family what a special invitation and privilege it's a place of honor and God says I have mansions for you I have rooms in my father's house for you especially for you I also have this tremendous rest reserved for you he says let us fear lest the promise being left of us of entering in into his rest. Any of you should come short of it. What does that mean? It's possible that we can miss out even if we've begun with the Lord. If we're not careful. It's possible to fail to enter in. It's written expressly in Corinthians as well as here in Hebrews. The people who came out of Egypt they were literally delivered from 430 years of chains and abuse. As we'll see in Life Training School, perhaps Thursday, they were given a quota to, quota to make bricks without straw, which is an essential ingredient in making bricks that will last, be useful, functional. They were under the servitude and bondage and abuse generations God heard their groaning brought them out with an outstretched arm with a mighty arm he showed his judgment on their oppressors right there in the Red Sea everybody saw Joseph is our youngest is fascinated with biblical history and all these things I just saw a a little clip of one of the videos that he has and people even secular archaeologists and scuba divers they found in the Red Sea region pieces of chariot wheels they said it could not have gotten at the bottom of the sea like that and be so old unless some massive destruction happened in the sea you know, how can that happen? God leaves his mark in many ways he shows what I did I did nobody can erase that no matter how the devil tries we have his word but also for people who are skeptics there are many many evidences evil people they come along and say the Red Sea was only two feet high the part in which they traveled and the answer to that is of course perhaps you've heard people ask well that's marvelous how the entire Egyptian army the superpower of the world Pharaoh and his chariots all drowned in two feet of water isn't that amazing that's probably a greater miracle than walking through on dry ground no it was not two feet of water but God gives us this rest you see the people who came out of bondage they were truly saved and it is written expressly not only in Exodus but in Psalms they believed and they rejoiced in God they were saved God is not double-minded. He's full of love, pure love. When he saved them, he intended to bring them to the promised land. But they were obstinate, stiff-necked, murmuring on day three itself, murmuring right away, complaining. Instead of saying, God, can you show us water? We need to drink water that's bitter here. Moses, can you do something? Can you please pray to God? We know God who brought us out of bondage. We just came out of prison sentence for 430 years we were in behind the bars Ooh. we came out surely God who brought us out from this place can give us water we just saw the Red Sea parted instead of approaching it with that angle with the human questions the limitations they should have looked up to God who created the heavens and the earth 
They knew their history from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they just saw a tremendous miracle. Abraham never saw this kind of miracle. Isaac didn't see it. Jacob, they got to see it. But they began to complain and have evil words against God. They did it ten times. God finally said, I had enough. How long will they do this? I keep providing for them, doing miracles in front of them. He wiped them off. They failed to enter into the rest. And the parallel in the New Testament is that physical Canaan that they were supposed to go into, that first generation, 20 years old and over. Their entire generation, it says their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They were overthrown. They were destroyed. They never made it. God told them, I swear by my name, you will not enter my rest. Because they're so evil. And the Holy Spirit brings that to who? Beloved Hebrew Christians and all of us. Not to scare us and threaten us because he doesn't like us, but because he loves us. He says, that's a real historical event. You don't want that repeated in your life. But you want to come, my beloved. Continue. Be fervent. Be full of joy and faith and be ready to hear my word and pray and to read my word and make me what I ought to be, number one in your life. He gives us the choice, even though he can force everybody. He's a gentle God, meek and lowly. But the one who comes to him, God's power, heaven's power will come and stand on our behalf and upon our family's glory will rest. This rest, as we conclude this morning, is a rest that we enter in the moment we believe, a rest that we must continue in by continuing to believe, which means obey, and obey to the very end without compromise, then we'll enter the ultimate rest. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed, see the past tense here, he's talking to believers, do enter, but it's uh, not a past tense there. He doesn't say we have entered as if it's a completion. We have, but it's the beginning. For we have believed, we which have believed, do enter into rest, as you said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Somebody gets accepted into medical school. Very competitive, especially here. Because people have more resources and more people are getting access to applying But the selection criteria narrows the pools very quickly in many universities. They're in medical school, but they've got to complete it to become a doctor. You go to graduate school, you've got to complete it to become a doctor. You're going to study for a doctorate. You go to a science and technology high school, but you've got to complete it to get that diploma. Am I in? Yes, praise God. I'm in. I'm in. It's true. It's not a lie. I'm in. But I've got to continue till the end. I have to maintain what? The great point average. How easy it is for human beings to understand that logic, but when it comes to the spiritual realm, everything becomes hazy and cloudy and maybe God this, maybe God that, maybe this is right, I don't know, this is confusing. No, it's very simple. The simplicity that is in Christ is absolutely amazing. God says, come to me, I'll give you rest, 
Abide with me. You continue to have rest. As you abide with me to the very end, you persevere. I will take you into the ultimate rest. That where I am, you'll be with me forever. How do we maintain the rest? By believing, hyphen, obeying. Believe, obey. As I said before, I say it again. When they're translating one of the African tongues, the languages, using the African language to translate the Bible, one of the languages, in the turn of the 20th century. They found that in that particular language, every time it says, believe, they put a hyphen with obey. That's how they translated it, and it was correct. Believe, obey. There's no confusion, because that's exactly what God meant. He that believe obeys me has passed from death to life. According to the Bible, there's no such thing as believing without obeying. These people that came out of Egypt, that the writer here alludes to, they believed and they obeyed. When God told them through Moses, you're about to leave, there's going to be a mass exodus. I'm going to do a miracle. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Go and borrow from your Egyptian neighbors, every one of you, jewelry. Go borrow it. I'm going to bring you out with a spoil. These people oppressed you. I'm going to get glory. I'm going to bless you tremendously when you come out. You're not coming out empty-handed. Go borrow everyone from his neighbor. Came out with a great spoil. They didn't resist. Oh, but I'm afraid to ask my neighbor. I know God said it. What could God have meant? I don't know. What will they think? Is this right, God? No, they obeyed. They obeyed. They believed. They obeyed. When God instituted the Passover, He told them specifically, I've got to see the innocent blood on your doorposts. Because of the blood that points to the Lamb of God is coming later. I will pass over your house. Not allow the angel to destroy your firstborn. They all obeyed. Not one Israelite. Israelite. Out of the 1.5 million or 2 million. Not one of them disobeyed. They believe, obey. Believed, obeyed. And so we are told the same thing. Be careful that you take heed, that you do everything that God told you to do and you'll be saved. But if you think you can believe without obeying, you will not make it. Isn't that fair? Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest. And if you should seem to come short of it, don't go back to the world. Don't sin against God. You will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, he'll reap. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Verse 2. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as you said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. I'm going to say a comment here. The truth about Seventh-day Adventism. Because they point to this text and other texts that have to do with the Sabbath day from the Old Testament. To say, see, it's very important to him. He never said to stop doing that. But in Colossians it says, don't let anyone judge you because of the Sabbath days. It's part of the law. Even though the rest predated the law. The law was given that you observe Saturday. And now we're free from that law. You know why? We've entered into the Sabbath rest for our life and for eternity. Your entire life is a Sabbath. For you have spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. The Apostle Paul says by the Holy Spirit, don't let anyone judge you because of what day you want to worship. God's not behind that. It's demonic. However, believe his worship on Sunday because it is the day the Lord rose from the dead. He began to meet, to celebrate. 
Why would we break with that if it's such a monumental event? It's demonic. To come with some kind of wisdom that is twisted. To do what? Divide people. And then exclude people from heaven. There are people who believe that if you don't worship on Saturday, you end up going to hell because you've taken the mark of the beast if you worship on Sunday. These are part of the Seventh-day Adventist cults, certain factions within it. All foreign to the scriptures. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. The caution is extremely forceful, because in chapter 3 we've seen several times already. And he repeats it again. The warning is so clear. He says, I don't want anyone to presume upon my grace. Do not become presumptuous, self-willed, thinking that because you got saved. You're locked in, like some kind of interest rate. The God is obligated, no matter if you live like the devil and begin to drink, carouse, and cheat your neighbors and live for yourself and everything be okay. No, he said, that's not the salvation I gave you. It's a salvation of full of holiness, humility, honesty, and, as I said, loving kindness. Which means you won't be sinning against me. You'll be walking with me in the light as I'm in the light. Since, therefore, it remains that some enter in or enter it, and those to whom it was first preached, that is, the ancient Israelites, did not enter because of disobedience. The parallel is they didn't make it to the physical Canaan and the spiritual came in the spiritual rest. And for us, we want to make sure we make it to the spiritual rest. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today after such a long time as it has been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Can you see a loving parent saying to the child, don't break my heart. I don't want you going swimming out there in the lake by the tree when there's lightning. People can get killed. I don't want you to die. And you see the kid making plans to defy mom or dad and want to go with the friends when this lightning thing is exciting. Listen to the twisted peers counsel rather than the parents, parental counsel who loves them most. Don't harden your heart, Johnny. Don't resist what I'm telling you. It's good for you. Don't play with fire. We're believers. We don't go out trial and error like animals on the street seeing which mate we can pick up. No. We're made in the image of God. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. Holiness rules here. God has your future mapped out. Johnny, Judy, whoever it is. God is everything, my child. Don't worry. And the child looks at the parent. At the parent in the midst of chaos, chaotic world, there's a measure of rest that is very different than from the rest that the world promises through diversion and movies and drinking and carousing. The child begins to see, I can live like mom or dad. There's a faith and a hope. God will make all things well. It's not just psyching myself. God's word is true. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Joshua couldn't give that spiritual rest. We had to wait for Jesus. Believing Jesus, the Old Testament saints guaranteed that they're part of that rest and they'll be in it. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. There's a cessation. Come unto me, all you that are burdened, heavily burdened. He said, let that yoke down. Stop your own works. Come, take my yoke upon you. The works are also called dead works when it comes to human beings. Trying to make it on our own, frustrated with life and trying to achieve and trying to measure up and trying to... When all that we need is found in those four pillars real honesty 
true humility, authentic love. genuine holiness. Let us therefore be diligent. See, he doesn't end with you're not entering in and they didn't enter in and you're going to fall, be careful. It's not only that. The reality of the negative part, that's the real potential, but there's encouragement. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest it, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That's the problem. When there's disobedience, stubbornness, obstinacy, a resistance to the counsel of God, the word of God, opening doors to evil spirits, that's the problem. God says, why would you do that? Stay with me. Do what I say. That's all. You'll be safe. And now he, the famous verse that we perhaps most of us know, if not all, what's the connection? I want to speak to this for a moment. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are bare and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What is he saying? He's saying God knows your heart. You can't hide if you're disobedient in your heart, if you're stubborn and murmuring and rebellious, you're not going to make it and God knows it because nothing's hidden from His sight. By the same token, God knows when somebody's sincere. No matter if all hell is breaking loose, they're not giving up their faith, they're not stopping their obedience. They're continuing. He says, be diligent to enter. It's available for you. You can't pretend and make it to heaven. But we can be prudent and obedient. We will make it. God sees everything. Seeing then that we have a... Here's the wonderful, encouraging conclusion to this chapter. After giving the real warnings, we should be scared to death to disobey God. That's another definition of the fear of God. Healthy Scared to death feeling. I'm not going to disobey my God. Which is built upon a genuine affection for the Father. I don't want to hurt the Father's feelings. I don't want to break his heart. And I don't want to be burned to be there. I tell you the truth. You read the scriptures. And even in Hebrews, we'll see at the end of a upcoming chapter. It says, for our God is consuming fire. Don't play with it. So it is a love with a burning affection for God. But a fear of God with a dread of being burnt up too. It's healthy. It can never go wrong if we have the love of God and fear of God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And we don't dwell on the condemnation or the potential of destruction. I don't want to get burnt up. I don't want to get burnt up. No. But it's part of it. I'm not disobeying God. Because look at what God sent against the people. He told it specifically. Otherwise, God would have mentioned it. If he thought, you know what, I don't want to hurt my people's feelings. After all, they're under grace now. We have communion. And Jesus paid it all on the cross. I don't want to mess them up on the morning call. I want to give them good words and words that you're going to make it and there's no worry about failing. and You don't have to worry about any ditch. It's all covered because Jesus died on the cross. In fact, you can go through life blindfolded and do whatever you want. You'll never fall and get hurt. Not so. God says to us, reality as it is, and our responsibility as it is. We had to walk carefully, not him. He says, you walk circumspectly. Be affectionate with your father. Make his heart glad, as we've read in the book of Proverbs several times when we went through it. 
wise son makes a glad father. But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. God is the ultimate parent. We want to please him. Find out what he likes, what he commanded. And the, your vows that we, we made unto him, keep it. Very simple. We're safe. We'll make it. We have a high priest also. In the midst of our striving to enter in, doing our very best, having that honesty. We know we're not alone. We have a faithful high priest advocating for us. And if any man sin, it says in the John chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an intercessor. We have a high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast your faith in him. Continue in him and believe and obey. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. God sees the integrity. That's why it says the word of God will pierce and expose a person's heart to the very motive level. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come to God with all our shortcomings. As we heard Esther preach yesterday evening, we can ask God to make us humble and faithful. He will give us all the help we need. And then we must do all our part. When the two meet, We give our all to God. He gives his all to us, all the grace we need. We will definitely obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We cannot be defeated. A believer does not have anything in his or her blueprint from God, from heaven, that says defeat. Nowhere. There's no plan of God for not a single defeat. There's no plan of God for a single defeat in the believer's life. Once God saves us, he sees win, 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 win. It's the devil's plan to bring defeat. And if we're careful to be able to discern the voices, unlike Eve, she was duped. But we know better. We have a long history of mankind being duped by the devil and destroyed. Civilization wiped out. Why? Immorality, lust for power, oppression, gluttony. Greed, foolish pride, arrogance, anger, wrath, jealousies. From the family level, a micro, microcosm, of the national level, international level, global level. These are the problems. But we know that that's not God's blueprint for my life. I have nothing to do with that. I refuse to drink damage my neurons and destroy my body. I refuse to smoke. I refuse to waste my time watching TV. Ungodly things and foolish chitter-chatter is happening when people are dying, going to hell every day. I want to be a soldier for Christ. I'm his child, but I have work to do. And Lord, whatever you've brought my way to train me to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus, a faithful child of God, one whom God can trust, to execute his plan, to finish the work. That's my food, as Jesus said in John chapter 4 to his disciples. My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. When we're on that path, anytime we feel weak, we can come to the throne of grace. We'll definitely find help to overcome. And we will overcome and overcome and overcome. Gain victory after victory by the grace of Jesus Christ and bring many souls with us to heaven, entering into the same rest. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your truth. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging us, Lord, showing us that we can continue and overcome. 
We praise you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for healing the afflictions of your people, giving relief, O oh Lord, Father of spirits, putting an end to all affliction, my God. You may be free, Lord, to go out and about, bringing many souls to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your clear counsel in the Word of God. Whatever confusion the enemy brings, Lord, you dispel it. May your Holy Spirit, and thank you. We never need be confused. When we come to you, Lord, sincerely and repeatedly, believing and trusting that the one who will lead us into all truth remind us of all that Jesus said as he told his disciples, the comfort of the Holy Spirit will illuminate the scriptures, keep us on the safe track to winning, to enjoying the rest you've given us. Father, I pray that every brother, every sister, all of us, Lord, would understand and enjoy a greater measure of your rest today, Lord. We would not carry our frustration and burdens and feel overwhelmed and continue that way, but to bring the burdens to your feet. Because you did say, you promised, take my yoke upon you because it's easy and my burden is light. Thank you for the peace that passes all understanding, my Father. Oh, Jesus, you are the God who calmed the storm and you continue to calm the storms in our life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We have a peace that the world cannot give and cannot take away. We have a joy, Lord, that is constant because of your sacrifice on the cross, taking away all our burdens and dead works. We cease. We cease from our works, Lord. And having entered into your rest, continue in your rest. Refuse to go back and pick up the burden that we should not carry. I trust you like babies. Be happy that our Father is our provider. He will be faithful to provide everything we need. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.